0: sorry. It looks like my audio on this recording is not very good, but we can't do it again, so we're just going to have to live with it. So listen to Jeff and then kind of tune me out because I sound terrible and I'm really sorry. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Steve. Into the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. How's it it going, Jeff? It's going pretty good. I have uh, relocated and i am here in another city um and i it's about uh, 50 miles from where i was before and about 51 miles from from you, <laughs> <laughs> <Are> you <laughs> before i was you... about one mile from you so I've, i just just to say I've, I've got my my deep cop voice on today because we've we've discovered the the answer to a mystery but we'll get to that in a sec so, um, yeah, you you moved about fifty miles away, which is which shouldn't disrupt our recording because we've, we've been recording so seldomly anyway. Well, we are on episode nine, and we're entering the ninth of month, so it's not that bad. We'll have actually have ten by the end of September.
1: So stop so, that. Bad. Uh,
0: this is uh, season four, episode nine. Charlie Chuck. Wait, let me let me start there this is uh, season four, episode nine. Charlie Chuck has been found alive. So this is a sequel to season two, episode one, where we we asked what happened to Charlie Chuck. Yes, and that was a great episode. I mean, I really liked the interview we did, and uh, it turns out that you had a new interview, right? You found some information. Yes. So I did find some information, but for, first let's talk about what we were, what this whole thing is about. Uh, why don't you go ahead and read that press release Okay, from a couple of weeks ago. This is interesting. This is a press release from PR Inside Press and Media. This is in the sport section, just to let you know. Atari announces modernized Food Fight remake featuring online multiplayer. Sloppy Joes and Juicy Lucys around the world. Get set for messy multiplayer antics in a remake of the Atari Arcade and 700 classic. New York, Accessawire. Atari, one of the world's most iconic consumer brands and interactive entertainment producers, today announced a new, built from the ground up remake of the beloved classic Atari Arcade game, Food Fight. Developed in partnership with MegaCat Studios and launching early next year, Food Fight features familiar faces from the seminal favorite, reimagined as a premium game with modern 3D graphics, charming new characters, updated gameplay mechanics, and multiplayer support. Food Fight exclusively launches first on the Atari VCS PC console hybrid system, and later on Windows PC PC, PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox One, Xbox Series XS, and Nintendo Switch. Then it goes on to say, give a little description, a very, very um, interesting, let's just go into the description. Dodge, dip, dinner roll. Food fight unleashes all manner of food-based frenzy upon players looking to take control of the food court. Featuring single-player, co-op, and online multiplayer modes, the reimagined new game offers a plethora of potential gameplay scenarios, further supported by procedurally generated environments to ensure the food-fighting fun never goes stale. Players can collect and choose from over 30 individual weapons, items, and special pickups, each with their own kitchen characteristics, such as slippery or sticky. We promised fan <laughs> Okay. Interesting. We've promised. Now I'm going to go back because I'm running out of breath by reading like that. We've promised fans new Atari content for the VCS, and are delighted to unveil this fresh, modern take on a classic video game favorite, one that only Atari could lovingly and expertly curate and bring to the VCS first. We've promised fans new Atari content for the VCS and are delighted to unveil this fresh modern take on a classic video game favorite, one that only Atari could lovingly and expertly curate and bring to the VCS first, said Atari VCS COO Michael Arzt. I don't know how to say his name. The feat wouldn't be possible without the passionate and dedicated team at Mega Cat Studios, and we couldn't be more thankful to bring Atari's food fight to the modern age where fans both old and new will enjoy all the messy mayhem this unique title has to offer. Everyone at MegaCat Studios is huge Atari fans, and from the moment the VCS was announced, we knew that we wanted to create something special and new from a classic Atari IP," said MegaCat Studios CEO James Deegan. We've been working closely with the Atari team for some time now. We're excited to finally announce this amazing game and can't wait to unveil more of the zany fun and innovative Food Fight gameplay characters and other details as development continues. Then there's more. Inspired by the original game, which debuted in arcades in 1983 and then followed on the Atari 7800 in 1986. Actually, it was one of the first titles, wasn't it? So it really was 1984, right? But yeah, it yeah. But actually, I mean, I, I think it, I'm not it, being sure it actually created, came out. Being yeah. created in 1984. Food Fight sees players take on the role of Charlie Chuck, a boy whose desire for ice cream sees him fall into trouble with a gang of mischievous chefs, Angelo, Oscar, and Zorba. Players must utilize speed and cunning to avoid enemies or choose a different route and engage in intense open combat where the food does all the work. It's a satisfying battle of condiment splats, entree explosions, and succulent shrapnel. They had a pretty good copywriter for this. <laughs> I don't remember any condiments, though, but anyway. No, condiments, yeah. Uh, I don't know i think maybe that's the the tomatoes the tomatoes okay okay food fight launches first on the atari vcs the iconic gaming brand's first new home gaming and entertainment console in 40 years with game content exclusive to the platform food fight is also the first example of atari's recently announced refocus on premium pc and console games additional game details and assets will be released within the coming month the atari vcs lineup of video computer systems bundles and peripherals are available for purchase online and in-store from best buy GameStop, Micro Center, and the official Atari VCS. Is that actually true? Are they actually available? I haven't seen it Best Buy, but I was going to try and pick one up. So when I read that, I was like, oh, you know what? This is the first thing I've heard. of. I mean, we know that the new Atari CEO is in charge of uh, making you know, premium games. And this is the first thing we heard about an actual Atari IP that hadn't been leveraged yet it wasn't like asteroids or breakout or something that wasn't asteroids or or something actually being used to make a new game. Right. Right. And it's a good, it's a one that we've, we've been championing for a long time. So. It's one of our favorites and, and it also answers the question from that episode, which is what happened to it. I guess they were sitting on it. <laughs> yeah. And they also announced, they also mentioned arcade in seventeen hundred So I don't know if they own the arcade. They, they probably didn't know that they own the arcade one or possibly, possibly, possibly the arcade one is owned by Warner. Um, no I don't Warner, think Whoever is. owns, whoever owns the arcade IP at the moment. I don't one? think. It, I don't think it is because it was. It was released um, before. that. Oh, okay. like, so it's not owned by them. But yeah, I mean, there probably are some licensing issues there where, where you got GCC in the mix, and you probably have Warner Brothers, and you probably have Atari, and you know, and all that stuff. And and also, I think. Um, I think uh, at the end of that episode, Jonathan Hurd told us the first mm-hmm. one, he's like, oh, uh, you know, just the name Food Fight is so hard to trademark because there's so many things called Food Fight. So I think that's why this is Charlie Chuck's Food Fight, because that's way easier to, to get mm-hmm. a of course. trademark for. Mm-hmm. And they did yeah. own that trademark. So uh, yeah, I thought this was fascinating. Really interesting shows that I think things are moving at least somewhat in the right direction. And because of that, I, I got an interview with Andrew Marsh from Cat. Wow. Uh, it's about 30 minutes long, and let's play that right now, and then come back and talk about it, okay? Sounds good. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm super excited to talk to you guys, especially after, I actually was familiar with some of your guys' work before this. So, oh, yeah. Or at least looking at it. I mean, it's a pretty impressive body of of indie retro games. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've
2: We've been at it for about six
0: years now. It's awesome. So let's talk about that a little bit. So tell me about Mega
3: Cat.
2: So we started about six years ago. We're talking about some real humble beginnings here. I uh, I was at this is how at least I got involved with it at the beginning. Uh, I was at a local video game show here in Pittsburgh, and I was just you know looking around at booths and stuff. And one of the guys that was selling stuff was uh, James, CEO of the company. And we got to talking a little bit, and I was like and we were talking about developing retro game. And I said, oh, if you're interested in getting into that, I know some of the technical side of things, because I did it as a hobby for years and years before that, Um, you know, I'll give you my email address, my phone number, you know, reach out to me, I'll I'll be glad to help you out. And he's like, well, I want to start a studio up. Do you just want to do that with me full time? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, so cool. yeah, that's how that's that's how we kinda got started. And um in the start we were doing just retro stuff. Um probably for the first year or two of it. Um we were making stuff for the NES, SNES, Sega Genesis, and then as we started to grow, started to get a little bit more attention from doing that, then we started branching out to doing stuff for PC and modern consoles and mobile. Now we we touch every platform we can, you know. Yeah, no, um, I
0: saw that list is pretty impressive of what yeah. you guys do and the companies you work with. Do you, so, how did you get started making retro games? Then, what was your process? You know, how um, I don't, you have to tell me how old you are, but like, what was your first gaming system and and how'd you get into it?
2: My first gaming system was the NES. Um, I don't mind telling you how old I'm. I'm 36. So, my first gaming system was the NES. That's that's where I really started, and um, always loved it. Um, Kept playing it pretty much my whole life, you know. Um, even when it was outdated, I'd still bust it out and play games on it. And then I would say probably when I was like late teens, early twenties, um, I started finding out about the ROM hacking scene. Oh yeah, and I got into that. And that's where I really started learning a lot of the technical side of like the art and design of those games so and like-
0: Most of the, obviously the people that listen to our podcast are Atari fans, right? Yeah. From old school, yeah, yeah. you know, golden age Atari fans. And the homebrew scene, for that is very much about building and compiling your own stuff, and and there hasn't been as much ROM hacking, um, mm. and most of it's centered around AtariAge.com. So I'd like you to to explain, like from the NES and you know Genesis stuff, where do people go to do this? What is the what is, what were the ROM hacking tools that sort of stuff?
3: Yeah,
2: want- um, sure. Uh, that it's pretty similar for the. Uh, NES and Genesis stuff. There's their own communities, um, like Nintendo Age and uh, Sega Retro, and those communities um, have built compilers for writing like C C code and compiling it into assembly. Um, And we've actually contributed to those projects ourselves because of the volume of work that we handle. Right, Um, We're more likely to come across things that might need adjusted or are fixed in those things. So anytime we come across that, we always try to contribute those community projects. And then on the art and design things... Um, For the art, I use uh, GIMP, which is just an open source Photoshop alternative. Um, Me too, by the way. (laughs) uh, As long as you know the technical specifications of the platform you're working on, then designing the art, you can use whatever you want. Yeah. Um, So that's usually what I go with. I like using it because, especially when we start talking about like 16-bit stuff, um, you really get into needing to have a lot of control over like palette manipulation. Yes, and so GIMP has a lot of really good tools for that. And so on top of that, we have like a whole blog series on our website about how about our process for doing this stuff. And at one point I had written a post about how to manage like tile counts and stuff to make sure you're within storage capacity for for consoles. And some guy from the community just reached out to me one day is like, hey, I, I I read your blog post, so I just wrote a plugin for GIMP so you don't have to use more than one program. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I did see that you guys have a very extensive blog series about building NES, mostly NES. I mean, that's yeah. what I saw, which is very cool. What's your response to that sort of thing? Is that supplemental to the uh, to the stuff you sell on the site? Does it bring people in to buy stuff?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that we're in an interesting time now where we have stuff like NES Maker out there, you know, and people are making tools like that for other consoles now where the barrier for entry is starting to get a lot lower in this stuff. So we think it's nice to have that blog series there for people that may not necessarily be doing it yet, but are interested and they want to learn how to get in, get into it. It, we, We think it's just really helpful to have that resource out there for people.
0: Yeah, it's cool. NES Maker is an interesting one because I did take a look at that. Um, I'm in- interested in the NES as well and doing some I- NES stuff, but I looked at NES Maker and it, it's cool. And I'm wondering what you guys think of that compared to doing it in, you know, assembly and, and C++.
2: Um, I think from our company's standpoint is that we think it's great for prototyping ideas. Um, that We'll use it for that. and. But beyond that, I think it's great because it just gets more people interested and involved in the process. There's, you know, there's people out there who aren't going to be able to hand code assembly. And I've seen people just I've just seen people drop off the face of the earth trying to do that stuff. So, so I mean, it's it's great that they're just lowering that barrier for entry to people because it's I mean, it's a niche thing. And it's it's nice to see that grow a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, it's it, it's cool. And there are obviously there are tools on Atari's side for the 2600 and 7800 and Lynx and some Jaguar stuff. Uh, and people do the kind of the same thing. The difference is it's like NES maker is almost almost game maker for NES, not quite. Yeah. not Yeah. Fly. And I know there's one for the Game Boy as well, like GB yep. Studio, I think it's yep. called. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that's different for like people who make Atari stuff like 7800 and 2600 is that the actual hardware in the cartridges is fairly similar you know mm-hmm. for most of the games there's slight differences like there's a sound chip there's yeah, a yeah. pokey sound chip and the 2600 there's something called DPC plus which is a, a an extra chip that David Crane made to add sound and mm-hmm. and a few things to 2600 games but when you go to the NES it feels like there's a whole like different world of cartridge mappers i don't know if that's how if that's the right description but yeah. the way that cartridges were constructed and mapped out can you explain a little bit of, about how that works and how it evolved from the original nes games to like the later games what what hardware was in there what people were using
2: uh sure yeah i can briefly go through the history of it a little bit because, um <laughs>
3: i think it's because, fascinating that's what yeah, yeah yeah
2: yeah um, it, it so it started with, you know, these really basic mappers that you just have um, a program chip, a character chip. They're both pretty small capacity because the Nintendo initially wasn't really intended for these larger games. So they, they just had like sort of single screen arcade games in mind. And so that's sort of really all you needed for it.
0: So let explain, just before I move even further, the NES itself has two atlases of of tiles right one for the one for sprites and one for the background that you can access at any one time is that true
2: um so it gets they get loaded in banks so you can have um it's essentially a bank is like a portion of a page of tiles right and so you could load depending on the mapper you could load maybe four banks each at a time and then you'd have to swap to different banks to load more graphics
0: and those are how, how large are those banks memory wise
2: um there's uh like 1k and 2k banks so okay. 1k bank would be a quarter of a page 2k bank would be half of a page so overall a page is 4k
0: wow and then and those are each those are four colors a piece
2: uh, yeah, I and mean, technically speaking, yeah. So it's uh, three colors and then a common color that's used for alpha.
0: Yeah, and then and then you could overlay those at the you know to make much more colorful sprites.
2: Um, yeah, absolutely. We did um, one of our games, Little Medusa. Um, we use that pretty heavily in our cutscenes. Um, oh, that's cool. Where we'll do a lot of sprite overlays to make them look a lot more colorful than they should be.
0: And then per, is there a number of sprites per line limit? mm Hmm
2: that's that's the biggie that's that's the one that we that's like the the constant struggle (laughs) is eight what is it is it eight it's eight yeah it's eight so each each sprite is an eight by eight tile uh generally speaking uh there's two different sprite modes but generally speaking a sprite tile is eight by eight pixels is it the other one
0: eight by 16 or something yeah
2: yeah you can you can have an eight by 16 mode but that's um,
0: still still three colors plus alpha
2: yeah and uh So you can have eight of those tiles in a horizontal row um, before it stops rendering them. That's why you have that flickering.
0: That's front. That's that's the front end sprites, but but the but the background tiles you could fill up obviously the entire screen. Right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you have um, at any given time you have two hundred and fifty six background tiles, um, two hundred and fifty six sprite tiles.
0: So when you're scrolling, is there are there off screen tiles, or do you just have to calculate when a tile is moved off the screen and replace it with other data?
2: Uh, d- depending um, on what you're trying to do. So if you're trying to do like. And this is like a tricky maneuver, but if you're trying to do like a hot bank swap where you're like bank swapping mid scroll, um, mm-hmm. then yeah, you would have to, you'd have to actually calculate for that. But if you're just using the same static 256 tiles, then it's just, you lay out a map, you lay out a map and then it, the game just reads that map.
0: Just reads the data from the map and then updates yeah. the tiles as you're going. Okay. That, yeah. That's cool. Go and ahead. that's Name table. that's a function of the NES or that's a programmer pattern
2: know, uh, it's the function of the NES. Uh, the the NES loads its backgrounds and things called name tables, and the name tables can be of varying sizes.
0: Oh that's right. I'm sorry that these are dumb questions. I'm just really oh, no, interested no. because uh, I've been doing uh, Atari 7800 homebrew, and you know the 7800 was the let's not call it a competitor. It was out at the same time.
3: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah.
2: And so it, and similar architecture.
0: Similar architecture, in that it you know has it, it, it most of its sprites are. It can be any sprites can be 16 pixels high, eight to 16 pixels high, but any width, but Mm -hmm. as long as 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 it hits 16 pixel boundaries. Um, And what's interesting is that, you know, that architecture, which is called the Maria chip, supposedly could put uh, hundreds of sprites on the screen at the same time. The actual limit is way less than that. Like the actual limit is like about 16, 16, 16 buy 16 sprites on a line to get the frame rate correct yeah Um, and and it can somewhat do what the nes does it also has a 13 color mode where you can get sorry 12 colors plus alpha Mm -hmm. per sprite but the limitations are really in the amount of rom you have to to load sprites from yeah so obviously 12 color sprites take up a lot more space yeah, yeah, and yeah there's like block limitations 2k block limitations but but a lot of people are like okay the 700 could do what the nes could true except for the background the background tiles on the nes make it like vastly more efficient to make like yeah. a scrolling game yeah yeah and and so and so like looking at like both like i love the 7800 because i love the idea that atari made this console that hardly anyone did anything with and like it's really cool you can do stuff with it now but like under no like assumption that it could have somehow competed with the NES in in that. Well, maybe, if people had figured it out and there was enough developers and, and knowledge at the time, maybe. And there but, was a um,
2: lot of business stuff going into that too yeah. that sort of held it back. Atari was still sort of had the stigma of the video game crash and Nintendo had like some brilliant marketing people who oh, could yeah. sell it instead of a computer, it was a toy. And so it got into more toy stores. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's,
0: it, but it's fun, you know, from our standpoint is to go back and go, Oh, like what could have been right. Cause a lot of, yeah. Oh yeah. A lot of retro game development is like, Hey, you know what? This translation never made it to this platform. I'm going to make one, and, you know, for homebrew, like on the line of licensing issues, right. On the, on the line yeah. of yeah, IP, yeah, yeah. you know, and sometimes it's overlooked. And uh, I mean, Nintendo, pretty much clamped down on everything, but like other abandonedware titles and things right? where someone never made Joust 2 for the platform yeah. to make it or something. We did a podcast a couple of years ago because one of our favorite Atari games is Food Fight. Mm. Um, and we thought that was always like a great game that they made that really was at the, like in their like, final years, designed by General Computer Corporation, and also came out on the and a very good game, but it's always been that kind of like really fun, we thought, game that should have had a sequel, but was never really, the IP was never really used. And we always wondered why and you know we did this fake like mystery podcast how did you guys decide to work on that food fight it wasn't something atari brought to you or you guys decided to do yourself
2: so we had been in touch with atari for a while now and they were we we had been talking to them about doing something for the vcs and so they were like they got interested they're like yeah i mean look at our properties tell us what you're interested in you know run it through our people and you know, we'll make a decision on, on what you'll work with, and we kind of had the same thought process as you. We're like, why has nothing ever been done with Food Fight? Right? I, it's a it's a really cool property. The characters are fun. Like,
0: it's one of the only games that has an actual like if a target has an actual character, right? Like, like yeah, yeah. For better or for worse, Charlie Chuck is a is a character that could be used utilized in some way
2: yeah and so we had the same thought is like why has nothing ever been done with this game like it, it's just begging for something and so we went with that and they were all about it they're like absolutely I, oh, cool. we've been waiting for something to do a food fight and is
0: this been now how long did that process take for you guys
2: uh i would say about a year oh wow. Um, okay. about a year of talking with atari um just sort of some of its stuff I'm not super privy to. I'm not No, really that's on, fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. Not, I'm, not, I'm not, not I'm not really on secret. that I'm just wondering, like, Yeah, like, I'm not really on that side of things. I was wondering but,
0: if it was if it was with under the you know, they have a new CEO who's over games now.
2: Um yeah.
0: and, and wondering if that was part of that process or was it, it started before but, that? I
2: was gonna say our, our relationship with Atari started even before that year. So I mean we've we've been talking to them about things for a long time now. Um but this was probably about a year to get us to the BCS project.
0: Oh, that's cool. And then and then you're obviously it's a it's a game made in, in Unity or uh
2: or yeah, or yeah. Steam. Uh yeah. It's gonna be coming out on uh PC. We're looking at other consoles now. Um but we need to clear that with Atari because obviously they want it to be, you know, centered around the VCS.
0: Yeah, VCS exclusive. I mean it's actually yeah. if you think about it, I mean it's 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 a good plan to try to take some unused, you know, IP that actually oh, yeah. has potential and put it out on the VCS first. It's you know, I mean yeah, and
2: you know, and they they've been great with us. You know, they've they've given us a lot of a lot of freedom to uh, be creative with the with the property. You know, um, so we're not just making food fight with a fresh coat of paint on it. You know, yeah. we're take we're sort of taking that concept and and modernizing it and looking at popular games and similar types of gameplay that are around now, like Splatoon and Fortnite. Yeah. And and looking at how we can use those, integrate some ideas from those into the food fight world, and so we're we're coming up with a pretty cool concept for it.
0: That's cool. I I think that that food is kind of underutilized in video games, as far as I'm concerned.
2: Oh, oh, yeah, and you're talking to the right studio about that right now. (laughs) (laughs) We love food games. Food games are that's where we live that's awesome
0: (laughs) yeah that's cool yeah i mean obviously that that's a good like theme for your for your product line as well so i did notice i saw some of the the literature or something some stuff that was written about the game you know like that the chefs have different personalities yeah, you know that there is an ice cream cone with the with the timing and and um, I didn't see anything about the the instant replays. But are you trying to incorporate as much of the original game into this as possible?
2: Yeah, yeah, we're still we're we're trying to do what we can to keep the spirit of the original. So we took the idea of the ice cream cone and one of the game modes we're building out is sort of a take on um, King of the Hill where you're, you're you got like a pretty standard kind of i don't like to use the term deathmatch for this but right. that, that style of gameplay um going on and then eventually the ice cream cone will appear and the idea is you got to grab the ice cream cone and hold on to it and if someone
0: <laughs> takes you out they get it it's kind of like the golden snitch or something right yeah 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 so so is is there a, is there a, this is a multiplayer is there a single yeah. player mode in the game as well or is it um, all
2: multiplayer? it's gonna be multiplayer focused um i do believe we're gonna have like single player against bots but um we're gonna yeah it's gonna have a multiplayer focus to
0: it is there another multiplayer focused original ip on the entire bcs right now not that i know I, of i don't think so
2: yeah
0: yeah I mean, it sounds to me like a, a pretty good next take on food fight so what's your development plan if you could tell me or when, when do you think it's going to be out
2: um i can't say that for sure okay. uh, I, I i don't i don't I'm not privy to when they're going to, because there's going to be like marketing and all kinds of other agreements
0: that have to go into that. I will say on Atari Twitter people, there are some people saying, hey, this actually might get me to buy the VCS. Like seeing yeah. that Atari is doing mm. this with their IP. That's, that's always great to hear. Now, are you, Are there? Is there any other Atari IP you're thinking about doing something like this for?
2: If I was the sole decision maker, there would be so many answers to that question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Understood.
2: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big 2600 guy, so... Oh, that's awesome. I <laughs> yeah. didn't know that.
0: Did you have a 2600 before your Uh, uh before No, an
2: not after. Not growing up, but um, as I got... I'd, I'd say probably once I sort of reached my 20s, I got real into collecting, and then that's really when I started getting into the 2600 and really sort of loving it. Oh, that's
0: cool. You have a 2600 collection now? would you continue it? Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I got some
2: pretty weird ones, too. I, I don't know if I should talk about them on your podcast. I got... <laughs> I got well, some of the I got some of those ones that come in those nice uh, leather clamshells. If you the, the know mystique them. ones, yeah
0: yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, uh, we don't, don't care. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, the mystique games are uh, do, are they boxed or or
2: loose? Um, my copy of Beat 'em and Eat 'em is factory sealed.
0: <laughs> that's a good piece. Yeah,
2: that's a, that's kind <laughs> of a
0: good collector's piece. I mean, I try now to collect only bo- only CIB and a, or new new in box if I can. I feel like that. Yeah, that's
2: the only factory sealed game that I own. Normally, my policy is because I, I like to collect, but usually I like to collect to play the games. Yeah, that makes so, sense. So, so usually I've I've gotten some factory sealed stuff in the past, and I'm like, no, I'm just gonna open it. Like, I want to play the game. I, I don't want it to just sit on a shelf. But that one, I was like, no no be... you don't need to play it and also i'm gonna be the only person i ever know that has this <laughs> yeah. but...
0: it's 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 a version of kaboom so just yeah it's just, yeah it's just kaboom yeah it's just kaboom but it's not even a good one so yeah and and if you need to play it you can play an emulator so what do you play those games on an original 2600 yep
2: yeah the original 2600 that's awesome
0: have you tried like the the retron 77 or anything like that um, I haven't tried the
2: 77 yet. Um, I generally stray away from. I, I think their products are great. I don't want to make it sound like I'm downplaying their products. Um, just me personally speaking, I tend to go for the original hardware because I'm one of those like purists that There's gets nuances. All, it's gets all, nuances. Yeah, right? it gets all yeah. snobby about it. So. Yeah, I mean, there, there are things
0: that don't work. Like I remember one of my favorite 2600 games was River Raid back in the day. And all, it used to come out on multiple, like, Activision compilations. There's one on the PlayStation and the PlayStation 2. And and every time I'd play it, would be like, you know, the sound isn't working. The timing isn't working. It's not right in a way that everything I remembered about it is all from, like, muscle memory and brain
3: memory.
2: Right? Yeah, and I think also there's just, it's hard to describe, but there's all, like, this tactile experience yes. to using the original hardware that, that you don't get, you know?
0: And I love that. Back to your NES games that you make and the and the stuff that you're moving forward on. You know, do you, what platform from uh, from the games that you guys make at your studio do you find is the most lucrative, that people are most excited about? Uh,
2: the people are the most excited about? They buy, I, who buys
0: the stuff? That's what I want to say. Yeah, yeah,
2: who buys the stuff? I think it might be the Genesis. Really? Yeah, I think people really go nuts for that. I and mean, I think part of it is the Genesis and Mega Drive are probably the easiest to collect for. Oh, yeah. Um, like, you can have well, a complete, you can easily have a complete in box collection of games. Well, and the boxes were yeah.
0: durable, too. So yeah. kept them around,
2: right? So, so I think that there's a lot more of a collector's market out there for the Genesis than anything else, because it's sort of the easiest one to get into. So, yeah, I think the Genesis tends to be the most popular i will always love making stuff for the nes i mean that's that's where i got my started that's where my heart's at but but yeah i think the genesis is kind of what gets the biggest reaction out of people
0: that's interesting i didn't know that that's um i would have thought it would be the nes but i know there's also probably a lot of product out there too for the nes or
2: I, yeah i think that too you know there, there, there is a lot of um i would say that probably has the biggest community so, Do you think
0: there's a bias against things that don't come from Nintendo on the NES? Uh, or on the, I mean, all Nintendo platforms.
2: Not really. I think nowadays, especially if we're talking to like retro platforms, people are just excited that <laughs> stuff comes out. You know, and, and and for what it's worth, um, we're you're you're mentioning Nintendo clamping down on things. They try their best to turn a blind eye to that kind of stuff. Their internal thought process about it is, it's not harmful and it's sort of putting people's attention on the legacy of of their property and, and they they kind of like that side of it so they they try to turn a blind eye to but it but
0: not their actual ip but you mean
2: the platform itself yeah the platform itself like if yeah. so like if people are making their own nes games and stuff like they 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 try to sort of keep like look the other way when that happens.
0: So the the patents have expired on the NES but like the um the encryption is that still IP that that Nintendo owns? So
2: depending on how you're making your cartridges um <laughs> yeah there's uh people have made um their own community ways to get through the encryption. I see that doesn't involve shorting out your NES. So, <laughs> um, so that
0: it did not realize that was a problem.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, that was how the old unlicensed cartridges worked. Um, oh, wow. Is they would just they would just short the circuit that read the copy protection stuff, and that that would be how they circumvented it. This is
0: like the Tengen stuff or tangent. Yeah, how, yeah, how yeah. Do you, how do you yeah, Pronounce that. I pronounce it Tengen? Me too.
2: Yeah. So yeah, that was that was uh, how they s- circumvented that is they just put a chip on there that would just short the uh, the security check.
0: That's a, I know. That's interesting to me to ask you because since you're, you're a huge Nintendo fan. Back in the day when Tengen brought out those games, did you know that they were unlicensed? Was that a thing, you know, among NES? Oh, no,
2: back in the Back in the 80s and 90s, I don't think kids had any idea they that was care. going on. Yeah, they didn't care. They just thought they came on cool cartridges, you know? <laughs> yeah.
0: So what do you think? If looking at the specs for the NES versus the SMS, is the SMS slightly more powerful? i think it's sort of a give and take situation
2: i think the sms can do some things that the nes can't do and the nes can do some things that the sms can't
0: do i don't know if you guys do anything for the sms it's to me it's like one of the lost platforms yeah
2: I, it kind of is that's why we don't really do anything for it um it's just at the end of the day we're a game studio yeah we <laughs> gotta make money off stuff, yeah right? yeah we gotta we gotta this is how i eat so <laughs> <laughs> um but uh like, I mean, we would always love to do stuff. If if we lived in Star Trek right now and there was no money, then we'd be making SMS <laughs> games right now. I was a hobbyist before I started working for Mega Cat. So I was making my own stuff, but nothing too serious or heavy. But enough that I was just, like, playing around with the system and learning how it works and sort of picking it and seeing what makes it tick. So, uh, cool. and I was, you know, I was just doing that in my free time for fun. I would just blow off steam, you know,
0: getting into creating your own indie games, not homebrew. I guess homebrew would have been the, the, the stuff that you did before. maybe Yeah. yeah, editing yeah. The ROMs and stuff. Yeah. Um, did you, when you were a kid, did you want to make games?
2: Oh man, growing up playing the NES. I had a wild imagination, man. <laughs> and so, I'd be playing NES games, and then after I get done playing a game, I'd be sitting there thinking about the game I'd want to play. Like, right. you know, oh, if I awesome. if I made a game, what would it, what would it be?
0: And so, being able to do this now is that sort of fulfilling something oh, that I you wish, wanted to do.
2: I wish I had a time machine, man. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, I could go back. I could go back, find myself ten years old, and make you will never believe. It would. What I'm doing right now,
0: that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for talking about this. I, I we're really happy that something's being done with Food Fight. I love what your company does. Very cool. Thank you very much. Uh, I I wish you the best and success. And and maybe we can talk to you again when the game comes out and we can talk about what you guys did with it and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always open for it. Well, thanks a lot, Andrew. That was really good. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me. Sure, man. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Talk to you later. Hey, everybody. It's Phil from Atari Bytes. Have you ever wondered why YAR wanted revenge? How when it becomes a frogger exactly? Why those robots in Berserk went, well, Berserk? Me too! On Atari Bytes, we do more than review the games. We dig deep to find the story of the characters within the games. If we know the actual story, we tell you that. If we don't know the story, which is more often the case, we make one up, hopefully to your amusement, and occasionally to provoke a thought or two. So if this sounds interesting to you, I hope you'll check out Atari Bytes. B-Y-T-E-S. Wherever fine podcasts are sold for absolutely no money at all. Thanks! Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart-by-Cart Podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer to the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at XEGS8Bit.com, that's XEGS, the number 8, bit.com. All right, Jeff. So, what did you well, think the about? The coolest it? thing about that was um, your discussion of the various um, ways to program consoles, but also the fact that he's an Atari fan and, and a VCS fan. He's a young dude who's a VCS fan, and he gets to program Atari games now. All those yeah. things are pretty awesome. So. When when I heard his story about going into a like a retro game show and meeting, you know, I think James is the CEO of Cat and him like getting a job to go make right games I mean that's basically the fantasy dream of most people right exactly <laughs> like I think that a bunch of times we went there hoping for that to happen and no one ever we never happened right because like you know no it never happened to me because I haven't been to any but but I but I think that uh, I think that it's it is a fantasy that that um, I never even considered that that was a that Me was either a Well, i meant a fancy because we when we went to uh, oh, the, we went to like e3, e3 and, like and that? Oh, yeah. the classic gaming. We always hoped there was something going on there, and there always oh, yeah. i mean Skyworks guys yeah. showed up there, but it was ne- wasn't really. And there were a few other people, but it was never really as big as it. Oh, should totally, be. totally. No, yeah, I know what you mean. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like I think we went to E3 hoping that we would make connections with people to do stuff like that. Right. Um, it never really worked out. Exactly. I mean, we that did, way. So we there was a chance through Marty to make um, some games for Atari a long time ago. Marty did them because, but they are only about uh, the the pay, it wasn't enough. The work was going to be really hard, and the, they didn't have enough money really to pay for how much work it really would be. Oh yeah, no, um, it wasn't. It wasn't anything. And that so, I, that but Marty did. Marty did a few and did a great job on them. So I wanted to say that, like, <clears throat> what I missed in that interview was that Mega Cat actually has an Evercade cartridge. Oh really? Uh, at least one. They might have two, but I know they have at least one. And I, I, I did ask Andrew after the interview to say something about it, and this is what he said. He said, when cable when planned to launch the handheld, they wanted to look for people who were developing new games for retro consoles so they could have some cards dedicated to new titles, as well as ones dedicated to classics. They ended up reaching out to us about it, and we were pretty excited about the project already, so it was a perfect match. They've been pretty great to work with as well, and you can really tell how enthusiastic they are about classic gaming when you talk to them. So, so I mean, there's like really... a second... Sorry, go on. Sorry. I was going to say like, that's like the second, you know, a dream is that Evergate then reaches out when you're making homebrew and has to put it on their console. I mean, that's pretty good. Except, except they don't make homebrew, they make indie games. Well, the interesting thing about it is I, I see th- right now three, like just incredible things that are out. I, I, I'm going to incredible to me, but three things, incredible things that are out right now that are kind of going in sort of the, uh, not just Atari favor, but in the retro gaming favor, moving away from the original um, like NES and Super Nintendo and Genesis a little bit, which was um, and just for me, is that the new the Atari console, it looks like it's actually good and could could be useful. I um, I don't I don't want to go that far, but well, I I'm agree saying, with I, that. It could I'm excited have it, it looks more promising than some other consoles that have been announced simply because it exists it exists, and now they're starting to do things like let's make an exclusive game that free fight i'm not and saying it's, it's a ps5 or, a, or no. an xbox one x or but, it's still too expensive for what it is so yeah. i think that's those that's a mark against it but i also i also love evercade and i really think that the new things especially Retro Man Cave, uh, who, are, who does the um, News of the Week podcast. Retro Man Cave is on um, this weekend. retro, is what I mean. And he's okay. on with um, John Schaller, who does the Amiga and the Atari 1200 podcast. And this, on that show, they, he mentioned that he is creating a mister that anyone can use with all these plug-and-play devices and stuff. So you can basically use it to emulate the real hardware of any of those machines, which is going to be a little bit better than a, a your regular emulation. Those things together are like perfect for me. I, I kind of was interested in like the Amiga Mini or Amiga Maxi when it comes out. But realistically, I could do that on the Mr. And then these new things like the be able to buy new cartridges for the Evercade or the Evercade Duo um, and to buy new new Atari branded software somehow on the Atari one. Those are all like right up my alley right there. Right, so yeah, that's cool. Um, so I I have an Evercade and I bought the Mega Cat cartridge and I was playing it. And it, they are they are some pretty good NES style games. One of them is called Coffee Crisis, and it, you know it's like a beat em up. And I think that is what <laughs> that was where you know he was discussing about how he has a their, their company has a food focus and it's, it's called, pretty good. It's called Coffee Crisis. Coffee Crisis, yeah. Ah. So, but here's the thing. Here's here's something I do want to mention about the Evercade. That's sort of a problem. So, um, I plugged to the Evercade. I plugged my mini HDMI cable into the Evercade and plugged it into the TV, and I was able to play on my you know widescreen TV. At, you know, Evercade games, which is cool. Except, they, there's a problem. Is that when the HDMI cable comes out of the uh, gets it gets loose. It resets the Evercade, mm. and that happens a lot when you're holding the Evercade with an HDMI cable plugged into your TV. Yeah, it's bad. So that's why the Duo probably is a better solution yes. for hooking up to a TV. Well, just I'm, because the 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 mobile one just it just just has that bug. In it. I'm not a I'm not a mobile gamer at all. Like I love the links back when we had it. It was it was great. That's the only one I've ever been able to actually get into. I don't have, I don't like staring at the tiny screen, no matter how bright it or nice it looks. I like, and I don't like buttons. I like, jo- I like buttons, my own choice of buttons and joysticks and things. So to me, the Duo is one I want to get, and I want to get the Duo and a bunch of carts. That's what I'm. So that's, and also, you know, I'm looking to get that that Mister Made My Retro Man Cave, and I'm looking at the Atari VCS, and maybe even the Amiga Mini because you know I, I, can I never had one. What if I get you a duo for Christmas this year? Uh, let's talk about that, Steve. Let's We're not to, to Christmas see, yet, but I let's could, talk about. It. Do you want a duo? I could use one too, because that. Ah, uh-huh, there we go. Way. We figured out eight-foot rocks so Christmas. Before, <laughs> if, before we move on, let's see. I emailed Jonathan Hurt, yes, you know the guy who programmed the original Food Fight coin-op, and I asked him for his response um, to this news about the Food Fight game, because of course. He's the one person that I'd want to know who, who, how they he made feel it. about. Uh, yeah, because he made it.
3: He. he said, just like
0: Jonathan, let's this. make sure we go back and say Jonathan Hurd is the guy who at GCC who created the actual coin op from his own brain. Yes, he designed it. He designed it. and everything. everything. Only thing he didn't do was the music. He, and now he does like business, you know, consulting and develop the guys. Let's just say genius. Yes, he's a genius. Yes, okay? he's a, he's a genius. Um, Anyway, and and like the best interview we ever had too. Yeah, he's just so good. He's such a such a good interview. Anyway, this is what he said: Hi, Stephen Jeff. Thanks so much for reaching out. Sure, I'm happy to share my thoughts. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> short and sweet. Um, the one thing that I found interesting about the interview with Andrew was he seemed to intimate that they were working on a multiplayer, mo- like like multiplayer focus was for the food fight game and not necessarily single player um he did say they were talking about some of the bots but but the press really seemed to intimate that it, it was it was single player first so I, I hope we can get that cleared up at some point about what exactly it is well um, okay to too. this reminds me of a game that you and i had a lot of fun with online too you know what the game was yeah. the nerf blaster game
1: oh yeah yeah that's right
0: that was fun and we that was one of the early 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 like early two thousands, multiplayer online multiplayer blaster game where you would go. with It was like a you know death match, uh, and you shot nerf guns at each other. Now I'm not saying this exactly the same, but I'm saying this reminds me of how much fun we had with that. And that was we yeah, played that sure. on a PC. So, um, so, uh, so what, what are your you know uh, moving on to your project, stuff, What are you doing now? I have been since I've been moving over the last month. I have been re. I had a. I have a my tutorial for the uh, ST Stoss. I've been working on it. I recorded the whole thing. I wrote up the whole thing. And then decided to, it was so long. Um, my first recording was two hours and 30 minutes of the entire thing. Just reading it oh, wow. off of, just reading what I wrote off of the website. Um, and, doing, and doing a little, well, as I read it, I went into a little demo. And so what I did was I decided to keep that video of me doing stuff. And then re-record narration over it to explain it a little better. Because when you're doing it and trying to explain it, it's not that easy to do. So I'm in part one. I finished most of it. I'm getting ready to put part, finish part one and put it up. And then I have the uh, parts two, three and four and five, maybe even go along other ones now because I have other things I want to do. But I got to a certain point where I was able to get a good version of missing link uh, example where I got, a, I have about 20 sprites running at. Uh, compiled, running about, f- about 30 frames a second. It's funny because it jumps from 50 frames a second to 30 pretty quickly. At about 10 sprites, I don't know exactly why. I don't know if it's my calculations, but it doesn't look like it's any slower. Anyway, so that's what I'm working on. Don't want to go too much in detail on that, but that's we're gonna. It'll be up as soon as I can. I'm trying to get more of those tutorials going. I just need you know to get the time to sit down and, and do them. Oh, that's cool. I was I started um, looking at a uh, doing a some 1,700 tutorials myself. Um, and I started it, and now it got kind of buried over the past couple, couple of weeks. Sorry. So I also, here's the other thing I did. and I do not know what I'm going to do with it, but I just I just finished and asked you to help me edit the Into the Vertical Blank book. Book, yeah. 500, 500 pages of absolute <laughs> it's actually not absolutely it's it's good it, um it's really good actually but it's not all it's not all stuff that's already been covered on the podcast it's to, it's totally different i mean i think, I think a lot totally of it a lot of it is a lot of it is but a lot of it is extended versions all of them are extended or rewritten and then a lot of it has not been covered at all um, so, it's, so it's, hopefully it's, we can figure out what to do with a five oh, page into the rogue of Black book <laughs> i think we i think we um I think we do something like this, although I'm not going to, I don't know about it now, but I think so, the first version might be like we, uh, we set up a Patreon and anyone who Patreons something might get it. We may print on demand from Etsy or something. And if you Patreon a certain amount, you can, you can get it or something like that. And then we could go on to do other printing versions if you want to or something like that too, you know, because it's, you it, it, um, know, but I don't know. It, it's, I don't know what to do with it yet because it, it, des- it definitely needs to be. Heavily edited. You gotta find the maybe find the publisher who did the things like that. Um, the guy who was at the record company at the last few days, remember? Yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know what yet, but I I, agree. I, I don't know what to do. I'm just saying that it exists, and and it's it's is long.
3: <laughs> so,
0: um, so let it me, covers let's, it covers everything up until Atari a going out of business. Atari going out of business. Right. Yes. Um, it's sort of a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of history of Atari in there, but it's all mixed in with, you know, personal anecdotes. It's not really an Atari history book at all. Um, no. no.
3: It's a, some, little, it's it's a little bit like Terrible away Nerd. From.
0: A little bit like Terrible Nerd, in a way. But not yeah, exactly. I would say it's, it's it's similar to that some other things that I've, yeah, so,
3: um,
0: so I was working on that and I don't know what's going to happen to it, but at least it's now, it's something I've been working on for 20 years. Yeah, I know. And it's, I think yeah, I think it deserves to be out there somewhere in some form. We're not 100 percent sure what's going to be in the next episode. I've been throwing stuff around. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. There. I know that there's things we want to do, but we have interviews, we have other stuff, we have maybe the ST thing I was talking about. Let's not worry yeah, about. Yeah, we don't yet. know. But I want to say so. Um, I did talk to uh, Tony Longworth and gave us a song to go out on oh. "The Sun Still Shines Above." And don't forget about Brian Travis, who uh, wrote our th- new theme song. Uh, go check out his music on the uh, the links in the show notes. He's got all sorts of great stuff. Um, and obviously Tony's who has been supporting us Tony's, the entire time. And also check out Tony's too. Um, all those guys, great music. We're, we're we have a we have a, you know, we're, we're blessed with lots of great music. But also now, don't forget, Jeff Sean Chuck has been found alive. Where's we found alive, Steve? He was found alive into the vertical blank. Yes, he was. Until next time, Steve, into the vertical blanket. V-blank
3: ending into the vertical blank. An 8-Bit Rocket Studios production.